if you've been around for a while here at the church, uh, you know that typically with our sermons, what we'll do is we'll pick a book of the Bible, we'll start at chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll just go right on through over the course of however many weeks it takes us to go through that book of the Bible, or every once in a while we might take just a chunk of scripture, um, like we did in Genesis, the first three chapters, and do a series of sermons like that, and those are called uh, expository or expositional uh, series of sermons. That's like most of our diet here at the church. Uh, the next few weeks we're going to be doing something a little different because schedules are different and I'll preach a few times, Lauren's going to preach a couple times, Jason Best is going to preach at least once, uh, we have a missionary that's going to be here and, and sharing some of uh, their vision and their ministry uh, for a week. And so because di- things are different, what we're going to do is each week uh, we'll open God's word and let God's word guide us in a specific area, um, but there'll be some different areas and some different things that, that we're going to think about and talk about. And so. Um, because of the fact that we're meeting together and, and, and eating together later, we're going to do the barbecue thing and all of that. Because of all of the family-related things that are going on that you saw uh, that I put on the screen earlier, uh, just because as I was looking at all of that in the direction uh, that led us up to today, um, I want to talk about the church as family this morning. And so the sermon's entitled, We Are Family, and we're going to talk about what God's Word has to say about the church as family. Now here's what I know. It's July 4th weekend, which in the Northwest means that summer starts this week. I didn't find that out when I was on the East Coast. I grew up on the East Coast, and uh, it, summer starts like the end of May or the beginning of June. And I moved out here, and June came, and it still rained. And then later June came, and it still rained. And I was like, what is going on? It's supposed to be 90 and humid. And they said, this is humid. It's just like liquid humid. And then somebody informed me that July 4th is usually when summer starts. So welcome to summer. Isn't it nice? We're excited that summer's here. But one of the things that we know uh, about summer, as it pertains to family, is summer is usually a time when families are together a little bit more. Whether it's the family barbecues, whether it's the family outings, the family road trips, maybe your extended family is having a reunion, maybe you're going together on a big family vacation, whatever it looks like, it's typically a time that families are together a little more. Now, for some of us, that's like really fun and exciting, right? We love our family. We enjoy our extended family. There are several of you here that have multiple generations of family in the same church. So you have to say amen at this part, uh, by the way, right? Don't be sitting next to grandpa and be like, ah, family. Oh, it's tough. For others of us, though, like family can be a little bit tricky and a little difficult. We realize that there are positive connotations when we talk about family and there are negative connotations when we talk about family. This is further complicated by the fact that, like, in our culture, we use the term family for a variety of things. Like, I might talk about myself and my wife and my three girls, and that's my family. Or we might say we had a group of family over for a a party on Friday night. Or we might use family in, in a different way. Some of you might, even if you're not around your like nuclear family or your extended family, maybe you talk about like a, a people group that you're with who you're not blood related to, and you would say you call them your family. As so we use family in a, in a bunch of different ways, and interestingly enough, the Bible kind of does the same thing that we'll look at and we'll see in, in just a few minutes. But typically, however we use the word family, if family's functioning the way that we want it to, it's a place where I belong. It's a place where I'm included. It's a place where there's like a sense of community. There's a togetherness. There's a safety and a a comfort. Again, if it's functioning the way that we want it to, if it's functioning the way that we desire it to, like everybody wants to be part of, of a functioning family. And I believe that God designed it that way. That God set it up that way. 
that when we see a, a family that's functioning well, we say, that's a good thing, and I like that, and, and I'd want to be part of that. When we see a family that's dysfunctional or functioning poorly, we can recognize that as dysfunctional. And what I believe as I look at the New Testament is that God used this terminology on purpose to talk about his church. One of the great pictures that the New Testament uses of the church is that of family. And we know that family is created to be good, and that sometimes family gets messy. But God created the church, and then he called the church a family. And we're going to look at four different places where this word, this idea is used this morning. I want to give you four things that church should be when we think about church as family. Because here's the deal. I think secular people desire to be part of a community of belonging, a community of inclusion. I think people who don't want anything to do with church want to be included and there to be inclusivity. As a matter of fact, we hear those terms thrown around quite a bit as values of our culture. And I think that that's a reflection of what God has created us for. But what I want you to see is that when we say things at Puyallup Community Baptist Church, like we want this to be a place where guests become friends and friends become family, that's not just something that we're making up. It's not just a good idea or something that's an interesting thought. It's actually grounded in Scripture. So this morning we're going to look at four different passages of Scripture uh, to talk about this idea that we are a family and, and what's the church supposed to look like. And here's what I want you to do. Um, if you have a, a real Bible, hold that up. A real Bible. I'm going to make sure. Okay, good. Now put those down. If you have one of those Marky Beastie digital Bibles, hold that up as well. Marky Beastie. My friend uh, Tim Whitehead says that, so I was just throwing that in there for him. I'm just kidding. It's all the Word of God, and uh, when we do a sword drill, those of you with the digital Bibles will definitely win. So I point that out to say that you're going to be faster than me today, so give me a chance, Okay. But here's what happened. So, so here at the church, like part of my job and what I want to do is help us to all be good Bible students and know how to study the Bible well together. And so what you're going to see on the screen is just an, a reference for an individual verse. But I want us to all have our Bibles out because every text has a what? Context. And I don't want to just pull one verse out of Ephesians and one from Galatians and one from 1 Peter and one from 1 Timothy and say, see? I want us to look at some context, and so I want you to have your Bible open so you can see that context so we make sure that like, we're saying what God's Word says, even though we're not like, going sequentially through a book of the Bible. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 is where we're going to start. We're going to see that if the church is a family, then it should be a place to belong. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. I'll read the verse and then I'll explain a little of the context. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then, pointing back to some things that have been said earlier, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you're members of the household of God. Now that word household is where we're going to camp out in all of these passages. That's going to be the common denominator, the word household. So let me talk about that word for a minute. I said that in our culture, our context, we use the English word family to denote a variety of different things. In Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, in, in this passage, the word household comes from the word family oikos. Now, how many of you like Greek yogurt? Raise your hands if you like Greek. You, you, have you seen oikos Greek yogurt? It's in the Bible. 
So there you go. Go to Costco, get your Oikos Greek yogurt, and you're all good. Oikos means family. It means household. It means a people that lived together. And it's interesting because when you read like the history of it and how it was used, not just in the Bible but in other literature in that day, it had a variety of meanings. The word group had a variety of meanings, but, but all of those meanings had something to do with a, a place and a people where there was belonging and then there was togetherness. A, a family, an extended family. As a matter of fact, interestingly, like ancient Koine Greek, common Greek, doesn't even have a term specific to a nuclear family. It's kind of a junk drawer term that means a lot of different things, and they would have all heard it as a, a place of belonging, a place of inclusion and, and togetherness where people were together. A, kin, a kinship group is one way. And so that's the word that you're going to see. Each time, each of these four verses, you're going to see the word household. So this is another way to say family. And then, again, in the original language, that was the way to say family. Now, here's what's interesting in Ephesians 2. It says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Some of your translations say resident aliens. Some of you youngsters are thinking, oh, there are aliens. See, the Bible even says it. There are aliens. That's an interesting word. Here's, here's the word. If family is oikos, this word alien is peroikos. It means beside the family. And Paul, writing to the Ephesians, I think has actually given us a little play on words that we don't get in English, but you get in the original language. He said, you used to be peroikos. You used to be beside the family, outside of the family, on the outside looking in. You used to be strangers, but now you are oikos. You are on the inside. Oikia is the actual word that's right there. You are on the inside as part of the family. You have gone from peroikos to oikia. And right there, some of you are like, you shop at where? Ikea? It's just the Greek word. And it's a word play to show you used to be this and now you're this. That church as family is a place for belonging. It's a place for togetherness. But here's where context is key. Because Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 is set in the context of all of Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and 3 really. That's talking about what it means to become a follower of Jesus. What it means to become a Christian. Those famous verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It's a gift of God not by works so that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are right there just a few verses earlier. Last week we did communion. I read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Verse 1, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy gave us Jesus. You become part of the family of God not by coming to church. You become part of the family of God not just by signing a membership covenant. You become part of the family of God not just by going to the church potluck and doing the church activities and being part of all the things. You don't become part of the church by dedicating your kids. You become part of the church by accepting Christ as your Savior. There's only one door to the family of God, and it's Jesus. And so right up front, we want to say that that's the only way in. And I think that there's a lot of people that really want family, a lot of people that want belonging, a lot of people that want inclusion, and they're looking for it in a lot of ways. And what's happened is that has, has seeped into the church and pseudo-churches are allowing pseudo-Christians to come in and think that they feel a sense of family and community, but they're not calling them to Jesus. And before I call you to community, I want, you, I want to call you to Jesus. Before I call you to belonging in the family, I want you to belong to Jesus. Because you can't be part of the family without, being, without having God as your father. Without having Jesus Christ as your savior. 
And Ephesians is clear. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. So you place your faith in Christ. You say, I agree with the Bible that I am a sinner and my sin separates me from God. And I accept Christ. And I place my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. And if you've not done that, if you've not become a Christian, even if you've spent a lot of your life sitting in a pew, then you're not part of the family. And today would be a great day to say welcome to the family. So this isn't even like, you know, the end of the sermon. And I'm not going to do an invitation. But right there in your seat, you can accept Christ as your Savior. And then I'll say welcome to the family. And the church is a place to belong. A family is different from a company. Did you know that? A family is different from a company. A family is different from a club. A family is different from like a society, right? Like one of those society club thingies. A family is different than a team. In all of those other instances, I choose to be part of that. I choose to commit to that, and then I can choose to step away from that. What Jesus says is this, that when you become a Christian... Welcome to the family. Now you're part of the family. You don't get to choose your family. For some of us, we're like, oh, that's the, right? We don't get to choose our family. It's interesting because we got new mom and dad back there. We got a couple more on the way. We've got others who have been very recent. And, And not one of those kids, like, you know, was delivered and then was like, no, I want different, right? Harvey didn't get to look at dad and be like, no, no. No, I'm going back. No, I'm re-entering the draft. Right? Even in adoption, if you were adopted, like you didn't choose. And as a general rule, we don't choose our family. We can choose our club. We can choose our our civic society. We can choose our team and all of that. But we, we don't choose our family. And this is leading to an important conclusion. So the church is different from all of those things. And here's one of the key reasons the word commitment. Commitment. One of the things that family means is, is commitment. And a commitment that's on a different level than a, a company or a club or any of those types of things. You see, if this really is going to be a place where we find belonging and inclusion and togetherness, it takes commitment. Right? If PCBC is a place where, I mean, look around you guys. I had someone in the first service tell me they were here years and years and years ago, came back, and were here this morning. And they said, wow, this is really cool. Even in the first service, the variety of ages and the variety of different, like, just different people who are here. And I would dare say that we wouldn't all hang out with each other in other contexts. you believe that? Like, look around. Just look around. You're like, yeah, I wouldn't hang out with that guy. Right? You're all looking up here like, I wouldn't hang out with that guy. I get it. But what brings us together is the bond of Jesus Christ. That we're all gathered together here around a common central purpose. And it's the purpose of Jesus Christ. Like that cross is there for a reason. It binds us together. And what commitment does, it says, I'm committed to this thing more than just like if I find a better offer somewhere else. I would say this, that there are, there's the local church, which is Puyallup Community Baptist Church or the different churches, in the area, and then there's the universal church, right? That's like all people who are Christians. There are times when it comes time to leave a local church. If the pastor stops preaching the Bible, if the pastor stops talking about Jesus, if the pastor starts pushing political agenda rather than religious agenda, there are, there are several reasons that there would be time to step up and leave a church or to ask the pastor to leave the church. 
But one of the things we want to be careful of is to make sure that we say, like, hey, family is, is there's commitment in family. And family's messy, and sometimes family members are weird, but I'm not leaving the family. And family is a place to belong. The last thing I would say related to this is, as Ephesians 2, again, 19, you are no longer uh, strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I like that fellow citizens with the saints thing because there's a, a commonality. I was at a conference a couple months ago now, and the whole conference was about living faithfully in the midst of an unfaithful world. And one of the things that the speaker said was like, we have a better story to tell. In fact, we have a story that secular people are looking for, a story of hope, a story of identity, and a story of community. This is that story of community. The church should be family better than culture is family. Amen? Like, this should be a better example of what it means to be a family than what my kid's sports team is. This should be a better example of a functional, healthy family than my neighborhood or my other people group or my work. Like, this should be a functional, healthy place so that we can look at people on the outside and say, hey, I know you're hungry for this, and I know where you can find what you're looking for. As we'll see later, when, when other people who aren't part of church see us and how we treat each other, there should be an attractiveness to that, right? And, and a drawing us in, because this is a place of belonging, and everybody wants to belong and be, and be part of something. So that's number one. Number two, you're going to see that this is a place to grow, that the church is a place to grow. First uh, Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3.15 1 Timothy 3, I'll start reading in verse 14. Older pastor uh, Paul is writing to young pastor Timothy, and he says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Draw your attention first to the first part of verse 15. So that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Again, same word, household, family. How should one behave? Did you know that in order for a family to be functional, there are behavioral expectations? How many of you as parents are like, yep, yep, I get that. I totally know it, right? If I need my household to function properly... I got three kids. We got people here with two, three, four, five, six, seven kids, right? There's got to be some behavioral expectations and some rules and some guidelines, right? Do you know the same thing's true in the church? Now, I was talking in the first service, and it's interesting because when you have parents, it's like, yeah, behavioral guidelines, expectations, rules. You need to have all those things. It's important. But then you look at grandparents, especially new grandparents, they're like, you don't need any of that stuff. Just let the kids do whatever they want. Amen. Right? Yeah, amen. See? And I'll ask you, which is healthier for a kid? The parents. No. 
But at the end of the day, in the family, there have to be rules and there have to be expectations and there has to be like behavioral things that that happen. And the same thing holds true in the family of God. That's the point of 1 Timothy. So if you look at the context in 1 Timothy, you can see uh, that that Paul lays out in chapter 2, like he, he says like, hey, here's how when you get together collectively to worship, here's some guidelines and some rules because it can go haywire, especially if there are like tambourines involved. I don't know if you've been to that church, but you get tambourines and worship hankies and that kind of stuff involved. It can get crazy. Snakes are coming out. It's, it's a mess, right? I know this isn't the South, but I'm just saying. There got to be rules for worship. I went to one of those churches one time. I was like, why are people running up and down in the aisles? They're grown adults and they're in suits. It doesn't seem like that should be happening, right? But there got to be rules to help us to know how to function. And Paul writes some of this. He's like, well, hey, when you get together, here's some of the things you do and don't do. He says, oh, by the way, like, leadership in a family is really important and so like here are the qualifications for elders and here are the qualifications for deacons he talks in uh later in chapter uh, four he says hey some people are going to depart from the faith they're going to just go off the deep end i don't know about you i've never seen that happen in church right one day they're following the lord and then the next day they're off the deep end you think god knew that was going to happen and he gives us some rules for that. He says some people are going to come in and they're going to say things that everybody likes to hear. And everybody's going to be like, oh, that's really good, except for it's not in the Bible. I've never seen that on TV, have you? Right? There are rules for how Christian family works. And that's what First Timothy is all about. Paul's just saying, like, here's how you're supposed to conduct yourself in the household of faith. Why? Because the church should be a place where we continue to grow. You don't get to act however you want just because it's family, right? We don't get to just like kind of make up the rules as we go along. And the next piece of that helps us to understand why. He says at the end of uh, chapter 3, verse 15, he says that this is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Churches, just like families, need rules. And churches, just like families, need training in the truth. And I want to tell you that the key component of the church is family, just like the key component of your family at home should be this right here, this book. Like God's word should be open regularly. God's word should be open when we get together in this context. God's word should be open throughout the course of the different ministries that we have. Why? Because this is where we find truth. The spiritual truth is found in this book. So if I go to a church and the Bible's never opened... They're not doing what the church is supposed to do. But the same thing, just like in, in my house or your house and our, and our home, we need to continue to train people in the truth. So I want you to know that some of the ways that we take that very seriously here as church family is Ashley's in the back. She directs our children's ministry. They've worked, and Tina's here as well. They've worked really hard to put together curriculum so that from the time your kids are like in the nursery and moving on up, that they're not just over there being babysat that they're actually getting biblical truth. That there's a curriculum that's there. You're like, like, really, for babies? Yeah, because babies can like clap their hands and stuff like that, right? And little tiny ones. And we want to train them in the truth because the church is a place for truth. In two weeks, when we have Family Worship Sunday, I'm going to preach from Deuteronomy 6 and talk about the, the family's role and the church's role in training of children. And it's cool because there's something for all of us in that. But the church is a place for truth and a place for growth. 
in addition, not just with the kids, but with the workshops that Lauren is doing right now, or, or whether it's the sermon supplement that we put online, or Bible study groups, or fellowship groups, is that we're continuing to try to help this to be a place for you to grow. Because we believe that what God wants from his word is that this would be a place for each of us to grow. Related to that, I would say this. In my family, here's how it's worked. When the girls were little, I used an illustration in the first service. I can't use now because they're here. But when my girls were little, there were certain things that I had to do and take care of them because they couldn't do it for themselves. But one of the amazing parts of parenting teenagers, and I'd like to say, by the way, as an aside, those of you who told me, just wait until they're older, well, they're older and they're still precious. They're older, and I love this time of life with three teenage girls. And one of the things that I love about it is that there are some things that they can do for themselves. There are some things that they can do in caring for themselves. But what I know is this. If I still got up every morning and got the bottle out and poured the milk in and put it in the microwave, because that's how we did it back in our day. We didn't know we were poisoning the kids. And you put the lid on. You're like, microwave? Do you know? Right? If I was still doing that at 14 and 16 years old and taking the bottle up and giving it to them, there'd be a real problem, wouldn't there? Right? Some of you are like, I, no. Yeah, there'd be a real problem. Because as we've parented them along the way, our goal has been to like, make them healthy and productive members of society, which has required some growth. So there are some things that they are able to do now because of our parenting that they weren't able to do then. But what they continue to do more and more, and I'm really proud of them, is that they take responsibility for their own growth. This is something we need to learn as Christians. I'm your pastor. Lauren's your pastor. We have spiritual leaders here at the church. But each of us is responsible for our own spiritual growth. I'm fully aware that Hebrews says that I'm going to give account for all the people who are here and how I handled that and how I shepherded that. But I want to tell you that you're going to give an account for your spiritual growth. If you're a Christian, that your spiritual growth is your responsibility. And we want to put it on the table. We want to make it available and accessible. But I want each of us to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth, myself included, because that's what makes a functioning, healthy family. As each of us grows in our spiritual maturity, as each of us takes responsibility for our own growth, then we're able to shepherd and disciple others who are coming up behind us. And that's how God designed the family, to be that place of growth. The last thing I'll say related to growth is this, as I've alluded to a couple times, families are messy, aren't they? Families are messy. How many of you don't like your family? No, I'm just kidding. Somebody was on the way up. Right? Families are messy. Did you know that's the same thing in church? Right? Now you're looking around like, no way, these people all love and get along with each other. Everybody's perfect. There's never any fighting. The pastors don't have any counseling to do. Like, it's amazing, right? No, because here's the deal. If everybody always gets along all the time, it's usually called a cult, right? Because nobody's allowed to disagree. One guy says everything, everybody has to agree, put the smile on, and we all get along. Church isn't a cult. Church family is messy, but here's what you need to know. Messy is where growth happens, right? Messy is where growth happens. I had a messy incident on Friday as we were throwing a party, and I got upset with a family member, not my immediate family, someone who doesn't go to church here. And I got upset, and I didn't respond the way that I should have, and I had to grow through that experience. 
Because I love my sister-in-law, and I want her to stay my sister-in-law. She makes really good cookies, right? And I want to keep getting it. She makes chocolate tort. It's really good. But families are messy, and sometimes you get stressed, and you're frustrated, and you say something you shouldn't. That's an opportunity for growth. You think God knew that families, that the church family was going to be messy? You think he knew that, like, relationships were going to get weird sometimes in the family? Yeah. But I bet he knew that that is a seedbed for growth. It can be a great opportunity for us to grow and mature in our relationships with each other. The church is a place to grow. Number three, go to Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Galatians 6, 10. In Galatians 6, 9, a well-known verse, let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And that context there is talking about spiritual good, doing spiritual good for other people, caring for other people spiritually. So then verse 10 says this, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us do spiritual good, be spiritually productive to everyone. But then it says, especially to those who are of the household of faith, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It means this, that we have spiritual responsibility to do good things in general, but we have a specific responsibility within our family to do spiritually good things, especially those who are of the household of faith. You could ask, why is it, even in, in nuclear families, why is it that we often treat family the worst? Sometimes it's like, well, I know that they're not going anywhere, so I can kind of be my real self around them, and I've got to be nice to all these other people, right? We don't want to do that in church. Like, this should, these should be the people who we care for. We have a priority for caring for these people. But as it pertains to that idea, as we have opportunity, let us do good, especially to those of the household of faith, I would say this, that family comes with responsibility. Family comes with responsibility. Amen, J.C.? Family comes with responsibility. This poor guy's probably been up for like a week straight, right? All of us know what that looks like. My oldest isn't here right now, so I can use this illustration. Some of you have heard me use it before. But on October 13, 2006, when the doctor came up and handed me this new little one, and I was holding this little one, and we went off to the room. Mama's still in the OR, and we're off in the room, the two of us, and I'm standing there looking at my oldest daughter, I knew everything changed in that moment. I went from being a silly kid to I got to step my game up and be a man. And as I looked at that, I just realized the responsibility that that meant. And then a couple years later, when he handed me two at the same time, whoa, right? Yeah, that with family comes responsibility. And here's how it works. Family, church, same thing. You have contributors and you have consumers some of you have heard me talk about this before but you have contributors and you have consumers there are people who give and serve and work and do and do all the things and they contribute and that's healthy functional family then you have consumers the people who take and take and take and take and take and and don't contribute when we have a family of of consumers and we don't have contributors that's an unhealthy family I'm happy to say right now that that is not the case at Puyallup Community Baptist. There are people who have been here for 40 and 50 years 
who are serving. There are people who have been here for a couple of months and they are serving and everywhere in between. As I looked out at the first service, as I, as I look out now, I see a lot of people who are contributing. And I love that and I'm thankful for that. I also want to say this. I know that for some of you, you're coming from other places and other spaces in life where there's been difficulty, there's been hurt, maybe there's been spiritual abuse or church hurt or those kinds of things. And we say that you are welcome here, that you are welcome to sit and be part of what's going on here as long as you need to in order to get healthy. We want to be part of that process. This isn't a pastor saying, hey, if you're not serving, you're sinning. I'm not saying that because I know that there are a variety of things that different people go through. And I also understand that not all the contribution is contributing right here in this local body. Some of you are doing things in in other places, and that's great, and that's amazing, and keep it up, okay? What I'm saying is, it's just like in my family, if Lindsay and I kept having kids, more and more and more kids, and they just kept taking from our bank account and taking from our pantry and taking from her closet like they do now, that would be a problem, right? If they were always taking and then they were never giving in return, that would be unhealthy. And we want a healthy church to be a, a place where people are contributing together as a group. The last piece and this is going to be a little bit of a different one. It's in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. And it's a little bit of a different one. That if we are family, it should be a place to suffer well. And it's going to take a, a touch of explaining. But to me, I think this may be the most powerful one. So I want you to turn to 1 Peter. And this is the one where you really need context. Um, and so make sure you get there. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4.17 says this, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. There's the word household again. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I mean, look at that verse right up front and say, well, that's a really interesting, weird verse. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Typically, when we hear the word judgment, we see a gavel coming down, a sentence being given, and somebody being convicted, right? But there's something else that happens very often when a gavel comes down. Sometimes a gavel comes down and someone is vindicated, right? The guilty are convicted, but sometimes a gavel comes down and somebody is not guilty and they're vindicated. And that's the context of 1 Peter 4, 17. It's a judgment that's going to begin with the household of God. And it's not a judgment of condemnation, but it's a judgment of vindication. And here's how it works. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, and I preached on this text when we went through 1 Peter, so I won't belabor the point. 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us... What will, it, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely, scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In life, there will always be suffering. 
in life, there will always be suffering. Some will suffer poorly for unrighteous reasons. Others will suffer well for righteous reasons. And what this text says is that as Christians, there will be spiritual sufferings for people who are Christians. And that we can suffer well through those things. That the family of God is supposed to be a place of respite, a place of victory, a place of vindication, a place of strength in the midst of suffering. When he puts that verse right there in the midst of that context of suffering, and he says it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God, the picture is that there will be a day, this is end times judgment here, that there will be a day when the people of God are gathered together and there will be a judgment. And there will be vindication. And there will be eternity with God for the family of God. Amen? We believe that ultimately the family of God is the family of God for a reason because we're going to spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. And in that day there will be vindication. And as we sat here and sang, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, and we're very excited about that. And I said, that's a foretaste of heaven. It really is a foretaste of heaven. When the people of God, the family of God is gathered together, there will be a great banquet table, Revelation tells us. That's why I said when we get ready to eat in a few minutes, it's a little foretaste of heaven. All of this is true. That God has given us these little pieces on earth to have a foretaste of heaven. The family of God gathered together with God as our Father. We will be vindicated. The unrighteous will not be. But here's what I know. Between that time and this time, God has given us family to help us suffer well together with. Like some of you are going through real difficulties. Family difficulties, health difficulties, relationship difficulties. As I look out and I think about it, like I see difficulty after difficulty. But I want you to know that you can walk through that difficulty well together. Have you had somebody walk through a hardship with you? Have you had somebody come alongside you and say, we're going to get through this cancer. We're going to get through this divorce. We're going to get through this death of a loved one. We're going to get through this and come together. Have you seen what happens when the church gathers around somebody in that way? Church, that's what sets us apart as the family of God. You don't have to suffer alone. Do you you believe that? You have people to walk through it with you. As I preach, and I'm so happy that we're not in like some big auditorium because I see face after face after face, and I'm like just testimony after testimony of the people of God being the family of God and walking together through trials and suffering. The way that we walk through suffering says something about our family, right? The way that we walk through suffering together with each other says something about the family of God. And we have a unique privilege, a special privilege to be able to, to walk through sufferings together. We have this phrase, it's on the back wall back there, if you've been to Starting Point, you've heard it, where guests become friends and friends become family. It's not just a cute catchphrase. We believe that some of you are here as guests and and we're thankful that you're here. Whether you came from out of town, you came from another church, you came out of a difficult situation, whether somebody dragged you here and, and, uh, you know, um, bribed you with barbecue, I would have come too, right? But if you're here today and you're a guest, thank you for being here. Some of you are here and you're friends, like you've been around for a little while and you're getting to know people and things and trying to see like, is this church weird and crazy? And like I already said, absolutely we are, right? That's God's way to help you grow. And if you're a friend, we're glad that you're here. But what we want is for people to, to come and, and to be part of the family. 
And that means to be contributing. It means to find a place of belonging, obviously. But it means to like find family together. And I hope that this church can continue to be that place. One of the things that many people had said, and, and, and Lauren and I felt it when we went from one service to two services, was like, what if we lose the family feel? And that's the thing that we don't want to have happen. By the grace of God, I think we've done okay over the last five months or so that it's been, four or five months that it's been. We've got to continue to work on that together. So here's the invitation. If you're not a Christian, become part of the family of God today. Accept Christ as your Savior. If you are a Christian, the question is, how can I be a more productive, healthy member of the family of God? Is it through contributing? Is it through, how is it? Be a healthy and productive member of the family of God.